podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Thursday's episode of the Terra Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler, and this show is a little bit different this week. Instead of having a roundtable discussion like we often do, there's going to be three different parts to this with three separate guests. Firstly, you hear myself talking to Kieran Mooney, who is the WASP TV commentator about Barry Ferguson's departure from Alabama Athletic. Then you'll hear Andy Harrow talking to Finlay Jack. He is the Queen of the South commentator. They will, of course, be covering Alan Johnson's exit from Palmerston. And then finally, I will be back to talk to Daniel Smith, who runs a D archive about James McPaik being sacked as Dundee manager and being replaced, for some reason, with Mark McGee. So, I hope you enjoy all that. Firstly, it's myself talking to Kieran. Enjoy the show. I'd now like to welcome on my first guest into tonight's podcast to talk about Barry Ferguson resigning as manager of Alawa Athletic, and that is Wasp TV commentator Kieran Mooney. Hello, Kieran. Thank you for joining me. No, not a problem. Thanks for thanks for having us on. Ah, no problem, no problem. Were you surprised that Barry resigned? Because I could, I heard that he'd left, and then it wasn't like. I can't remember, I think it was maybe a bit busy that day, yeah, I'd, I'd slept in after the Super Bowl and then I was kind of catching up with work for the rest of the day, so I didn't really get the details until a day or two later, and I was like, oh, he resigned rather than being sacked. Yeah, it was a strange one, the story that kind of came out, I'm not sure if I completely believe it, but um, yeah, I wasn't really surprised to be honest, it's been a horrific season and um, the mood on Saturday was just different to all the other defeats as part of the run, so... The only thing I was surprised about it wasn't Saturday night that they waited till Monday, but no, I'm glad that it's I'm glad that it's over now. <laughs> Do you think that uh, the chairman Mike Mulraney would have pulled the trigger before the end of the season if he hadn't resigned? Because I think that there seems to be a kind of common thought amongst Alawa fans that Barry would have been given to the end of the campaign. I think if you look at Mike Mulraney's history, I don't think he's really pulled the trigger with many managers. I can only think one off the top of my head and everyone else has been given the chance to, to turn that around or given the chance to um, resign themselves. I think if we look in the past, some managers have been able to to change it, Goodwin being the prime example. So I think Mulraney is probably one of the more lenient owners. So I wouldn't have been surprised to see Barry being given to the summer. Now that, uh, on the subject of, of Mike Mulraney, what did you think of his comments earlier in the season about the job that Barry was doing? Yeah, it was a bit, um, I'm all for backing your manager, but it was a bit over-exaggerated, I had to think. Um, <laughs> to say he was delighted with the job, I mean, I sat a couple of rows along from him and we were watching exactly the same football, so he's seen many, many good Alawa teams, so to be delighted with that, I'm not sure what's, what he's what he's taken, but yeah, very exaggerated to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> so for those listening who may not have an idea, so Alloa are in 8th place, they're 7 points off the bottom, they're 27 points from Cove in 1st place. Now we'll get to kind of diving deeper into the team's struggles, but just in terms of an overall picture, how much is an underachievement is it that the club are fighting relegation 
rather than fighting for promotion given the aims at the beginning of the campaign and the fact that last season you were in the championship yeah exactly and last season in the championship albeit we got relegated we didn't play as bad a football as we're playing this season Barry came in and I think most fans would have been happy to consolidate you know float about the playoffs fight for promotion but Barry came in and the first thing he said was um, I'm going to win the title and the chairman says I'm going to give you a bigger budget than the championship so automatically all the expectations just got risen right to the top and you look at the squad of players that you've got, the budget that you've got and then what was happening on the park was just totally night and day to what was coming out of their mouths. So it's um, to go from the best part-time team four or five years ago to be fighting for relegation in League One, it's quite catastrophic to be honest. Barry raised some early red flags in his tenure with his kind of decision to either get rid of or kind of push to the side some kind of club favourites. Can you talk us through those? Yeah, I think well, when Barry came in, he wasn't a popular appointment to start with. So the first thing you do is just try and ease yourself into the job. He came in with the machine gun and just thought totally started ringing the changes. I think the most notable one would be Neil Parry, arguably one of the best part-time keepers, maybe kind of getting on a bit now, to be fair to him, but um, one of the best part-time keepers in the game. He played one competitive game in the League Cup, made one mistake and then never was seen again, was punted into the stands and then eventually ended up at Clyde. Um, So that was quite the decision and then when you replace him with with David Hutton who's maybe not quite as good as Neil Parry it makes it even worse Um, but he's not been alone in the way that he's been treated Andy Graham one of the nicest guys one of the most model professionals in in the game totally bombed out for Fernando Mendy which was bonkers (laughs) Kevin Colley as well was dropped just before his 400th appearance. John Robertson dropped. Um, the list the list goes on. The only one that's really kept their place is Scott Taggart. And I just think the Alloa fans are a bit bewildered why he took a really settled, good, solid team and just completely ripped it up into a million pieces. <laughs> what was, like, if you had to, I don't know if you know or whether you'd have to guess, what would you reckon he, what his motivation was? Was it a kind of, like... I'm I'm going to make my own stamp on this. This is going to be my team, and he's just taken that far too far. I think so. Um, I think so. Um, it was a lot of big characters. That Alloa team had been together for six, seven years. It was Jack Ross that put them together. They'd come through so much. Um, like I say, they're big characters, real team unit. And I think Barry came in and said things need to change. But with Barry Ferguson, he doesn't realise that you can do things slowly. He just decided to do everything at once. And this is only me just guessing. I think there was probably some sort of ego as well come to come to fruition, especially with the Andy Graham situation. That was a guy who was touted for the manager's job before Barry. He signed players in the summer when we were managerless. And the fact that he was now bombed out into the stands, it kind of felt like I'm in charge and you'll sit up there, um, even if it's to the detriment of the team. That's just me speculating, but I don't think I'm alone in that opinion. So, <laughs> what was so Barry got uh, bombed out a few of these guys, brought in his own players. What was his own record in the transfer market like? 
Um, quite a while to be honest. I was actually looking at it before we went, uh, before we came on this, and he's brought in eighteen players, and he was in a job for like five months. So, <laughs> always a sign of a good manager. <laughs> I know it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, there's one player in particular who played one game in the League Cup against Rangers Colts, and then never ever was seen again. He trained with us for about four or five months, played ninety minutes, and then then. I don't even know if he's still contracted at the club, and I think that's kind of the basis of most of his most of his signings. If you can count maybe five, six, seven who have been signed, who have no appearances to their names and no like looking at all, it's weird. There's a couple of hits in there, of course. Like Ewan Henderson's probably his biggest success, but for every Ewan Henderson, there's about four. Jordan Armstrongs or Tom Laytons who Aloha fans have never seen on the park Are there any that you've seen that have kind of disappointed that you think there's a player there he might come good under a new management team um, Probably there's a, there's a few that have kind of floated I would say Daniel Church is probably the main one um, who's suffered a lot. Um, he's a left back. We signed. He's in the Celtic Academy. Played at Dumbarton on loan. He's he's nothing like special compared to the left backs we've had in the past. But he's very good. Um, he's a decent player. But I think he's just been shot of confidence. And there was a spell in the season where he was the only fit left back. But they were playing um, two centre mids there, a centre half there, a right back, and he's sitting on the bench. And by the time that he comes on, he's just getting shouted at by Barry, and he's. he's Back pass after back pass, and he's probably one that could thrive. He's he started to kind of come onto a game now, um, and he's probably one that could thrive under a new manager. But it's just not the best man management skills with a with a young left back who's just come out of one of the big academies. And how did Barry like to set out his team? What was his system? What was his preferred style of play? Well, this is funny because I was listening to Open Goal, and Sai Ferry said. Um, we we beat Peterhead last week, and Sai Ferry said that wasn't a Barry team. Like we won that game, and that wasn't a Barry team. I knew he was going to go after that. I'd love to know what Sai Ferry thinks as a Barry team, because to me that's exactly what they were. Um, we had a really good passing um, team. We've always been kind of known for that over the last couple of years. Um, but this year it was just kind of when you sign Connor Salmon you kind of write your own tactics don't you um, it was a lot of route one sort of stuff a lot of counter attacking football very combative in the midfield which I think has been well highlighted but it wasn't quite as easy on the eye as um, previous managers Do you mean well highlighted because of some of the red cards? <laughs> yeah some of the red cards and the Celtic game and but I think the red cards mainly that's probably been one of the biggest downfalls of his of his team, the amount of times they just kick players off the ball for no reason or fly into challenges for fifteen seconds into a game, it's just being yeah, a bit was, bonkers. Sen on Yang who got sent off after forty seconds or something. Yeah, uh, uh, half that. I think it was eighteen seconds he made contact with the boy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think that kind of summed it. I think that summed it up. We've had red cards in six different games this season, and we've. Not won either. We've not won any of the six, and it was just like it, it was ridiculous. Like you can't win a. We can barely win a game with eleven players. So what chance have we got with ten? Sort of thing. <laughs> what's, it, what's it like as a club commentator when one of your players gets set off in eighteen seconds? 
It was, you just, that's your notes, your notes just get ripped up and thrown away, and especially when you're playing against Cove Rangers, like, arguably the best team in the league, it just becomes a passing, a training exercise, it's, um, it was the same on last Saturday against East Fife, you would come out, we're losing 2-1, you know, the tails are up at half time, two minutes into the second half, red card, you've got to sit for 45 minutes and commentate on, on a training drill, but, uh, yeah, it's been tough, tough season. In addition to his uh, the way his team played, what were Barry's biggest struggles as a manager? Um, probably, I think he never really connected with the fans, which is a big thing. Um, Alora Community Club, um, he never he never communicated with the fans. When we had tricky results, he would um, duck the press conferences, stuff like that. So his communication has always been really poor. Um, game management has been really poor um, and motivation I think as well I, um, you look at the sidelines and he's he's shouting and bellowing he's, he's not really motivating the players you look to the assistant manager Bob Malcolm, he's not much better um, so there was not really much to change during the game either and there's no, you don't look to the sidelines and say oh I want to play for him it just didn't really happen for him yeah, those kind of you, know, you touched upon what I was going to ask you next. Like, first of all, like I just read that today. He no showed press conferences. How often did he do this? Yeah, I looked at it um, three three times, um, but there was a common theme: uh, four two defeat to Peterhead at home, red card; two one defeat to Dumbarton at home, red card; and then the last one, three one loss to East Fife at home, red card. So <laughs> when it got tough, he would. He, He'd send Paddy or he'd send, he'd send Bob up to the press conferences. And I just a simple thing as well, like when he left the club, when Peter left the club last summer, um, he was really good. He came and spoke to a lot of the staff. Um, he phoned the advertiser, spoke to him. Barry's just kind of slipped out the back door. Um, I don't think he even did a statement on the website. And then we look and then half an hour later, he's done an interview with the Daily Record or Go Radio. And I think that's kind of the, the frustration that Aloha fans have had this season. Yeah, I saw something Pine Bob Wilson. I don't know. I don't know what they were referring to, but it, it might have been Go Radio, it might have been something else. Because I don't think it would have been Sports Sound because it wasn't late enough in the evening uh, on the Monday. But it's, somebody says like he should, get, he deserves a full time job because he was such a good player. <laughs> yeah, I think that was Mark Weedy, and he, I think Mark Weedy also hit out with. Um, yeah, the Alwa players, because they're part-time, they're not good enough to learn off a player and a manager of Barry Ferguson's standard. <laughs> I know, I know, it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, bonkers statement. You've got guys guys like Stefan Scoogle, not good enough to learn how to learn a passing drill off of Bob Malcolm and Barry Ferguson, like, come off it. But... <laughs> It was um, that was that was Mark Greedy. To be fair, I think Barry actually came a, came across all right in that goal radio. It was just these pals that were bigging him up for the for the next Rangers job, of course. Yeah, <laughs> it's incredible. Like uh, he'll get another chance, and it's like the amount of chances he gets is just yeah. unbelievable. Like fair enough, yeah, he took Kelty up. I think I, I think I could have taken Kelty up with that squad. <laughs> like that that squad for lower lowland league. I mean, the squad just for League Two is still a bit ridiculous with Nathan Austin and Caleb Higginbottom guys who could probably exactly. be playing in the Championship if they really wanted to. <laughs> uh, so for that to be playing in the lowland league, like they were always going to win the title. Like <laughs> oh, exactly. if, if he didn't do, it would have been a massive underachievement. And he was and terrible it- at Clyde. 
Some people think he did a decent job with Clyde. He was rubbish. Exactly, and I think I think the thing with us when we when he was appointed at Alaba, we were like, right, okay, he's done terrible at Clyde. We'll let that slip. He's had a three years at Kelty. He might have learned, but you know, you probably saw it in the Pine Bovril form. The Clyde fans are jumping on, and we say something, and they're like, yep. That happened to us like seven years ago. I'm like, how's this still happening? How is he not learning? How are people still giving him a chance? But yeah, it's very, yeah. He'll, he'll still get one, like you say. He'll still be touted up for whatever job and, uh, comes up. Yeah, and I've seen like, it was like quite often on the Pelly podcast, uh, with Craig Telford, when he talked to some of the players who worked under him at Clyde. I spoke to, and uh, I met uh, Jordan Loudon once, uh, who I think. He was at Elgin, I can't remember where he is now. Uh, he used to play for Arbroath as well. He was at Clyde, Ferguson signed him. Uh, he quite liked him for signing him. Um, and he, Ferguson rated him highly, then he'd done his knee in. Uh, but he was saying, like, he's just... In terms of his man management, he just comes in and sc- absolutely screams at the players. That's like that's his style. Like That's how he thinks that like he should manage a team. I mean, it's very kind of... I don't know, I'm, I don't know if there are some managers that still works with, but I think... For the most part, in this day and age, players don't respond to just getting screamed at all the time, especially when they're part-time players. And it's like, you know, I'm doing this a couple of times a week for no much money because it's fun and I like doing it. I don't want to be screamed at for you by you, regardless of what you've done in the game. Exactly, and I think that's I think that's what happened at Alloa as well. Like the the lows were so so low, and he would definitely react <laughs> absolutely screaming ball at them and. Yeah, like you say, players don't enjoy that and then they very quickly lose respect. And uh, for me, I think Barry Ferguson's rep as a player is slowly, slowly going away and being forgotten about because this manager rep that he's created is just (laughs) comical. Well, yeah, I mean, like, he obviously had a great time as a player. I think the... The biggest standout has been captain of a Rangers team that reached the UEFA Cup final. And... He was a terrific player, but if you're thinking about, like, especially these days when there's, like, we're not so insular as much anymore. Like, people are watching, you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid and, you know, Juventus and watching football for across Europe most, like, pretty much most nights of the week now. Uh, if you're watching the English Premier League as well, like, the Italian football is on, on, on BT all the time. So you're watching this and then... Think of it, and then you're always going to have new generations of like Rangers and Celtic heroes as well. And Ferguson deserves to be quite highly above there. But as, as younger kids are coming through more, like you never seen Ferguson play. And okay, what was his biggest achievements? He won some titles with Rangers. He led them to the FA Cup final. What did he do with Scotland? Nothing, because Scotland were terrible at the time. Um, it was a part of a <laughs> the best nearly team ever in uh, in oh um, six or oh seven when uh, the team nearly reached the Euros. But if you look at his kind of career accomplishments. Like, the, the way that he seems to get talked up at times, it's like, yeah, I remember Barry Ferguson. Barry Ferguson was a terrific footballer. But can we stop talking about him like he's fucking Ronaldo? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think I think the players are catching on to that as well. And at the start of the season, there was there was probably players that we've signed, like, who have signed just because it's Barry Ferguson. Like, it was quite... You look at the guys that we've signed, they've all got Rangers connections, whether they're supporters or academy players. And they've obviously signed for Ferguson, but in the January transfer window, every time he did a press conference or a, like an interview, it was, oh, we've lost out three or four different players this week, even till the day that he left. And I was like, well, note the, the common theme here. <laughs> like the <laughs> word spreads in the lower leagues in Scottish football, like it's very small circles. So yeah, players are going to stop coming just because Barry Ferguson took Rangers to a European Cup final. Yeah. 
And <laughs> I was going to go to the conversation of who you vote as the next manager, but <laughs> firstly, I just said this written down. Fernando Mendy, discuss. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? It's such a weird one. He's such a lovely guy. I don't know, have you met him before? Like, just I've not your... met him, but Sean's uh, met him, and Sean says he's a lovely guy. Oh, he's just like the best guy ever, so it's very hard to like be critical of him, but it's also not like if you watch him play for like <laughs> 15 minutes. Um, yeah, it's some, some story. He's given, he's like given that when we were like in the real. Like, we've not won in, like, eight games, nine games, ten games, season's depressing, and then, boom, we've got a player in AFCON. Like, he's given us, like, a buzz in the middle of the season, but half of the buzz was because we were going to be missing him for four weeks. Like, <laughs> um, he's not been brilliant, to be fair. He's he's so fit. He's, like, a massive, like, he's a big athlete, big, strong, fast, but he's just, like, oh, my goodness. His coordination has... Um, thought process and his defending is, is chaotic and I think for him to be dropped for Andy Graham it was it made it even worse but um, he's a lovely big guy so that's <laughs> suppose that's what he's known for but his football ability is, is quite um, I think comical is the word I sometimes use on commentary um, it, it's, it's it's the most entertaining thing to watch like he's I've seen him. I've seen him in the six-yard box do about four keepy uppies and overhead kick at clearance when he can just pass it out. So sometimes it's amazing to watch, but most of the time it's just what the hell is going on? <laughs> okay, who do you fancy as your next manager? Um, I think it's pretty obvious. I think most of the Alloa fans have, are very united with Andy Graham being the next boss. The guy is so well respected in Scottish football. He's so well liked in the dressing room. He pretty much did it in the summer between Peter Grant and Barry Ferguson. Like he signed quite a f- quite a few players. He re-signed the majority of the the squad, um, and I think there was some reasons with um, he wanted to continue playing that he was wasn't interested in it permanently. But I think he's thirty nine now. The, the season's maybe not played out the way that he wanted to. I think if he got offered it again, or if it, that opportunity came up again wouldn't see him turning it down and I think Alaba would be stupid they've got a guy there who fits the mould of previous successes well liked loved by the fans which I think is the most important thing just now and he's there already so I I wouldn't really want to entertain anyone other than him to be honest Okay Kieran, thank you very much for joining me No worries, thanks very much for having me on again And now over to Mr Andy Harrow Hey, my name's Andy Harrow and I'm joined today by Finlay Jack, who is the now almost former former commentator <laughs> for Queen of the South TV. Finlay, how are you doing? Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Excited to be on the podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to having you. You're uh, um, certainly from experience of, of watching uh, live streams for the past couple of years. Uh, Queen's TV has been, been one of the better ones, so um, so yeah, you'll definitely be a loss uh, to the... <laughs> to the station when when you go uh, but uh, I think what we'll do there's obviously been quite a, a bit of news about Queen of the South recently yeah. primarily with Alan Johnson finally leaving uh, over the last couple of days so uh, we'll kind of dig into that uh, and, and get your um, kind of feelings in terms of what's happened this season and uh, maybe what's to come as well so I think I think firstly if, if we start with Johnson was it a surprise that it's it's taken this long for for that decision to be taken? 
Um, it, it seemed like um, yeah. we were expecting it in January. It was on a bit of a shiggly peg for a while, I think. There was a few moments this season where I think people maybe expected him to get sacked to look back at the defeat to Cove Rangers in the Scottish Cup at the start of December. I think 3-0, I think people were kind of expecting it. Then it didn't happen. Um, the start of this year was a couple of really poor losses to Kilmarnock and Hamill at home. No shots on target either of those games, albeit the referees gave us some dodgy decisions, penalties against us. But I thought a couple of those times I thought he might have gone. The fact that the board stuck with him in January, I, I get, I, I understand it. They want to give him the window to try and improve the squad, to, to build something. I'm surprised that it's happened just after he's had that window. Um, but I think I losing to Martin, you know, we're four points adrift at the bottom of the league. And on paper, our squad's a, a relatively de- decent squad. You know, we've got some good players in amongst them. There's Cameron is a good striker. Harry Cochran has been injured, but he's a top midfielder. Um, really good young talent. So, you know, I'm a surprise. It took so long, probably. Um, but listen, Willie Gibson's in charge now. He is queen of the South through and through. Um, and it's taken less than 24 hours to get the fans back on side. So I'm excited for Saturday and excited to see what he can do with the team. Yeah, and uh, just just for a bit of context for people who maybe don't follow the championship so closely, uh, so Queens are obviously sitting 10th at the moment, yeah. as you say. They're four, four behind on firm and some behind air, uh, which would be safety. Um, and uh, there's a, Queens have got a game in hand, so it's not... It's not completely outside the realms of possibility of, of escaping at this point in time. Um, I, I was looking at uh, a couple of message boards and, and fans had seemed pretty despondent uh, up until the uh, the sacking of Johnson. But this, do you think this changes things then fundamentally? Because I suppose that the challenges maybe got Gibson is that he's, he doesn't have a window to bring in any players that he fancies. No. He's kind of left with a squad that he's... Yeah, I mean that... But the Scottish domestic loan window is open, I think, till the end of February. I think we've got one more loan available. Whether we use that, I'm not sure. Um, but listen, the, the players know him. The players respect Willie Gibson. He's the captain. He's uh, looked up and he's seen as a, a role model within the squad. And he's been in charge of the reserves now for you know a couple of seasons. I've not had a chance to see them, but from what everyone tells me, they do get the ball on the ground. They try and play some sort of nice football, which fans want. Um, my only issue with the kind of the player manager thing is, yeah. I'm not convinced the managers can play as well. Mm-hmm. I'd like to be proved wrong because Willie Gibson is one of our most important players. Um, you know, we'll see on Saturday whether he starts himself. Um, I'm not sure who's coming in to help him out uh, behind the scenes just yet, but you know, he's certainly got a big job in his hands. Um, yeah. Do you think? Do you think you'd expect to see any sort of more experienced person coming in to to help him out at all, or or will he just work with with what he's got? It's difficult. Last season, the start of the first two games last season, we had the COVID outbreak within the managerial staff. So the old keeper, David Matheson, came in just to help us out on the touchline. Um, of course, a lot of that was him kind of being on the phone to Alan Johnson, who was in charge at the time. He was at home with COVID. Um, I, I think he'll have to bring somebody in, somebody off the field. There's been names mentioned. Brian Rice has been a name that's mentioned a lot. He's got a fantastic coaching record. He's experienced as well. Someone like him I'd like to see come in the door. But first and foremost, I'd like to see Willie Gibson get the job permanently. I think he's got a bit of a free hit for the next 13 league games, one cup game, maybe two cup games. Nobody's really expecting us to stay up. I still think we can. Um, you know, Willie's somebody that certainly has a future in management. Um, he's got the tactical use to, to be a top manager, so hopefully he can get it and hopefully the boards can back him and bring in somebody experienced. It's difficult having for the season, though, you know, to bring in. Yeah. There's not that many people about and available, is there? So. 
Yeah, and especially with the, the situation Queens are in, that yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's potentially a bit more, it's less appealing uh, in the sense <laughs> that maybe less chance of, of rescuing it than maybe if they were. If yeah, I think uh, Sean in our uh, chats mentioned about you know it, John Hughes being in a similar situation at the mm-hmm. at Rovers a few years ago, but the difference was Rovers weren't bottom of the table when. Uh, when he joined, so it looked like there was maybe more chance of it being being positive. But on, on Willie Gibson, it's been some some rise for him, given that for a lot of his career, certainly from the outside, it always seemed like he was maybe uh, maybe a bit of a bad influence, or maybe he didn't have his head screwed on. Um, so so the the fact that he's come in and um, like you say, he's, he's been one of Queen's best players since he's he's rejoined. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he's he's obviously taken more responsibility behind the scenes, and now he's he's coming in as manager. I mean, that's that's been some turnaround for him. It's a kind of a, the rise, because he made his debut for Queen's 21 years ago now, which is almost my entire lifetime ago. <laughs> it's quite crazy. And he's, you know, a good career. He was seen as that kind of bad attitude, kind of hot-headed player. He's, you know, with experience, he's calmed down a bit. When he signed at us last summer, um, well, we, he was the reserve manager beforehand, but I don't think anyone really expects him to sign as a first-team player. He played for the reserves just for that kind of experience and, you know, our reserve team's pretty much under-18 team. But he signed, a lot of eyebrows were raised and nobody saw him playing right back either. And uh, he's like championship player of the month last February um, and he's still Mr. Consistent. He's played right back, centre back in a back three and a back two, centre midfield, either wing. He's played left back, he's played right wing back this season and now he's in the touchline. So, <laughs> you know, there's anything he can do. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I, suppose, I suppose we'll find out fairly soon, I guess. <laughs> Um, just to, just to, to dig in though, maybe look back at what's what has happened and, and why Queens are in this situation. Um, from from the outside, it maybe looked like uh, that Queens might struggle this season, given that there was a bit of a turnover in the playing staff, and that uh, you'd maybe lost some of the the people at Obli who'd who'd come in and been a success last season, Connor Shields, and obviously Dolby had gone. Has the season been? I mean, obviously Queens are bottom, so it's, it's been a disappointment. But how how disappointing has it been in comparison to maybe what expectations were like at the at the start of the year? Yeah, it's uh, you know we, we put together on paper for me a, a really really strong squad that has you know there, there's holes in it, there's positions you'd like to improve, but it's got you know the attributes to not compete for the league necessarily, but certainly get up in that top four. Um, you know, for me on paper, I went to the Queen's fam. We've got a better squad than Morton, a better squad than Ayr, a better squad than Hamilton. You know, we hope to kind of punch above our weight, and they both can do that. But with the likes of Harry Cochrane, you know, Paul Mackay, Roberto Nditi was so highly sought after, and someone we've really got a few top youngsters. The thing lacking is experience, but you know, that's not the be all and end all. Um, and yeah, you know, he's, he's had to put together a whole new squad, but he's done that three times now in three seasons at Queen's. Um, the difference was this season we actually had five or six that stayed on from last, which wasn't the same the year before. Um, and it's, it's a really big squad. The issue is, and it was like last season, you take a punt on Ayo Balai, somebody who's tried and untested in Scotland and it came off as a success story. We've done the same this season with a few players. Ruben Juniors came up, Josh Tabayo, Udoka Chima, and it's not quite worked out as well as it has for Ayo. Um, you know, it's, it, it's disappointing that he's put together a good squad. That's one of his you know, best bits as his manager, Alan Johnson's recruitment, I think. Um, and the aim's always top four. He's been backed by the board. I think everyone can see that. And he was given time as well. Um, but yeah, it's, the performances, as I say, it's disappointing. Some of them have just been woeful, just terrible. But sometimes we've, we've just turned it on and looked at a really, really, really good team. It's just the inconsistency is just 
inexperienced squad, I guess that's what comes with it. Yeah, and, and what do you think is behind that inconsistency? Uh, I, I saw again, I saw people kind of complaining about maybe a, a lack of consistency in the the starting eleven. But what do you yeah. think been been kind of the main factors behind it? I the, think that's pretty much it. The the formation changes a lot. We never really know. You know, I go to a game and I'll see the team sheet at two o'clock, and you've no idea what formation you're going to play. Mm. Sometimes you've got three five two. Sometimes you've got a four four two. You've got four one four one at times. Three four. It's 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 a, it's like a lottery. You're picking out of a half formation. The joy is we've got players that can play multiple positions, which helps. And um, but it's like so Roberto Dita came in after a season of four for playing defence. He's spent most of the season playing one position in one game and a different one in the next game. And it's you know it can't be easy for him. His form's dipped, and I think that's probably the result of that. I think it's the the starting eleven's changed. A lot, I think, to be expected when you lose games. I think the formation changing a lot's difficult. You know, how do you work on playing three at the back for two days and then change back to four and then back to three and then, you know, it's hard for the players. Yeah, and so do you think? Do you think the the board were maybe too loyal to Johnson over that that period in terms of hoping that it was going to recover? Do you feel like the Queens would have more of a chance if if it maybe? that decision being taken earlier or I don't think you can criticise the board too much over sticking with them I think so often these days you see managers get sacked after one or two bad results not given the time to turn it around yeah. he had every chance to turn it around which I, you know I respect from the board he's given that they've given him time to do it and he's clearly not done it in hindsight you'd say now you should have gone to the start of January because we've only had one point or two points at the start of January yeah. um, it, it kind of got to the point where we were on the bad run of defeats and he was Kind of picking up results just when he needed results, so he, he got that extra time. Um, the, the, the other fans, you know, they, they'll say he should have gone last mm-hmm. season, probably, um, which I can totally understand. But I, I'll never criticise a board for for giving a manager, you know, one game too many rather than one game not enough, really. Yeah, and there was no—I mean, to be to be honest, there was nearly the you know the the game against Rovers midweek where they were pretty close yeah. to. Uh, to win that, you know, there certainly there looked to be enough of a performance there, and that the the players were still still playing for him. I guess at that point, but that that Morton result, in fact, I guess it's been the the, the two out of those three games have been losses to Morton and Dunfermline, and they kind of felt like yeah. killers, really. Well, I think that's now. I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure I'm right. The last three home games, we've yet to have a shot on target. <laughs> so regardless of who you're against, to not have a shot on target at home um, is is. Terrible. And obviously, Dunfermline, that's a big defeat. And their next games are both on Saturday. And then I believe it's Ayr and Morton after the next two after that, like with Cove in between in the Cup semi final. Um, so that, you know, that that's massive games for, for Willie Gibson and the squad. And Johnson's shown that perhaps he couldn't get the results when he needed to. Um, so it's up to Willie now to, to get a tune out of the team. Yeah, and you'll be hoping you get the kind of bounce that, that Morton have had from Emery coming yeah. in. And I mean, Dunfermline have had less of a bounce from, yeah. from Hughes coming in. But yeah, uh, I, I, I do wonder if just having somebody with um, Gibson's personality and everything might actually, and obviously he's kind of respect, well respected within that that team and might actually make a difference. Because there isn't, uh, from kind of watching games against Rovers this season, there isn't a lot of difference, I don't think, between a lot of the a lot of the teams, uh, so yeah, you know, it seems like it's pretty thin margins. I, I, I don't know. Uh, in terms of that Morton game, it seemed like I mean, Queens were leading with ten minutes to go, and then end up losing two one. Was it pretty much the same, the same thing there? We just couldn't turn it into sort of a decent performance into a win, or ah, we just 
you know, it was it was looking like we were kind of sneaking away with a one 0 and I don't think we deserve to win the game. Um, a draw, the Gaffer would have been a fair result. I think if anyone deserved it, it was Morton probably. Mm. Um, but you know, as you say, you've watched Rovers Queen three times this season. For whatever reason, we've you know, it's the only team that we've seen to have performed against is Rovers. <laughs> you know, you could ask you could ask a Hamilton fan what their thoughts are of Queens, and we've been we've made Hamilton look like Barcelona at times this season. You know, it's and that's not I'm not just criticising anyone, but it's the inconsistencies are there. It's yeah. um, yeah, there isn't much. You know, we've gave Thistle, like, we've beat Thistle in the. Um, the Challenge Cup we've drew with them we've got beat with them we've got an even record against them you know as you say Wraith Rovers we've kind of was like two draws and a win I think for mm-hmm. Queen of the South against Rovers or something this season so there's not much in the teams but it also shows that when you get a tune out of this Queen's team that you know they're good enough to pick up results against the top three and four sides in the division yeah. So what's your what's your expectations then for the rest of the season where do you think Queen's will, will end up finishing? <laughs> Difficult expectations wise. Um, that's not all I can ask is that is that Willie Gibson gives it a good goal. The players go out, give it their all. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they have done. Um, I don't think there's much a better motivator at the club than Willie Gibson will be for the players. Nobody's expecting us to stay up this season. I don't think. Um, you know, never say never say never. I don't see why we can't stay up. Uh, naturally, you're kind of hoping that Aaron and the Fairland drop off slightly. I don't think Morton will drop off too much. Um, but a couple of years ago, eight, nine years ago, Alan Johnson, when he was a player and Gus McPherson got sacked after getting us relegated, we played Ross County in the last game of the season, Alan Johnson's first game in charge as a manager, and we got beat 5-3 by Ross County. But it was one of my favourite ever Queen's games because you could see the players going out, playing attacking football, looking like they're enjoying themselves and putting on a bit of a show. Now, if I could see that for 13 games this season, even if we do go down, it gives me and the rest of the Queen's fans a sense of optimism going into next season, which... And whatever league we're in will be tough. Yeah, yeah well, I, I think that's a that's a good way to end it. I think, um, yeah, hopefully. I mean, uh, as somebody from uh, grew up in Dumfries and Dumfries Gallery, I'm kind of I always have a slight soft spot for Queen. So hopefully they uh, they get out of the, the predicament they're in. But uh, thanks for joining us and enjoy your uh, your last game. It's hard growth at the weekend, isn't it? Is that right? That your yeah, commentator. What, what an easy game for Willie Gibson to start with. They talking about. <laughs> But I tell you what, if there's, if there's any game you'll get a result on, it'll be this one. You watch. Two nights Queens of the weekend. I know. Yeah, to be fair, I don't think there'll be too many people being uh, supporting Queens that day. I think, I think our both <laughs> are, uh, are, uh, are everyone's favourite now for the for the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, I hope it goes well. And uh, thanks for, for joining us today, Finlay. Thanks, Andy. Cheers. Thank you. And finally, the last guest of tonight's podcast is Dundee fan Daniel Smith. Hello, Daniel. Hi Craig, uh, thanks for having me on, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, we just, we just literally jumped on the call and we've been, like, like, been speaking to each other for about 30 seconds and we're just like laughing at each other, like the events that have happened at Dens Park, Den, uh, Dundee Football Club. Rarely, rarely ever a dull moment. Rarely a good moment, but rarely ever a dull moment. <laughs> Box office, yes. that's what you mean to Box say. Box office. Box office. So, well, let's take it back to McPake's sacking. Uh, safe to say, it coming off the back of two defeats. Uh, sorry, two victories. Sorry, not defeats, two victories. Were you shocked at the announcement? Yeah, definitely. Um, you'd think he'd be sacked after back of two defeats, but um, winning back-to-back games and still getting the bullet, it's a weird timing. Uh, the only thing that we can think of is that the man... Uh, 
the managing director, John Elms, and Tim Keyes must have felt that he was gone before the Hearts game and they were looking for people not, and not expecting to get a victory against Hearts um, and it's just worked out the way it's worked out. <laughs> Yeah, it was aye. Yeah, because that's what I kind of thought as well. I was going to uh, put that kind of a, a similar kind of theory to you. Yeah, I kind of wondered as well whether they decided that we're we're going to sack him after the count because the county game. I think it's fair to say I, I, uh, I didn't see the county game. Um, I think it was. I think I was on that podcast after it, but I think it was either Tory or Duncan that watched it. How bad was the county game, and, and was that a sackable fence in itself? Yeah, that's probably the first time I've came away from the from a game uh, with Mick Pake in charge, thinking that's me done. Uh, doesn't it help that well, me and Gary were at the hospitality and we were kind of well on by that time, so you, you know your emotions are running high because of alcohol. But um, yeah, that was I was kind of done with them after that game, uh, just thrown away a one nil win, a one nil lead again against Ross County, and um, just because it was nine points that we've given them and we've been pumped five nil from them and. 3-2 up in Dingwall and just the manner it kind of happened at Dens against County it was just to, for me that was the, the breaking point uh, it was a bad game as well to be honest and how bad how bad was the performance I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. kind of asking this I know this is kind of in the past but I'm kind of asking this because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really going to ask how the fuck did then you go and beat Hearts but we'll get to that in a second <laughs> the performance well first first half actually first 44 minutes I thought we were pretty good one nil up, and then we gift them a goal, and uh, just before half time, and then everything just turned to shite. Excuse my French. That's how it happened. And then you got um, Charles Cook just started up in his game, and the rest of the county boys uh, just up the game as well. And every time they went forward, they looked like they could have scored against us. Um, oh, it was just one of those. just kind of collapsed, to be honest. And then you go to Tide Castle, beat Hearts. I don't still don't know how that. I was there. <laughs> I, I have some. Well, to be fair, I kind of do know how it happened. Uh, Hearts missed a few chances to make it more than one 0 Then Dundee score. I mean, safe to say, a bit of a fortunate goal with with the own goal. And then Hearts Nielsen, a guy who really normally does not do this, kind of panics, changes the Hearts system to to mirror Dundee system of four four two. I mean, I don't know why. Like, you've got Charlie Adam as part of the opposite midfield too. You maybe want to stick another <laughs> body in there and run over the top of him. But no, change it to match up man by man. And Peter Harden's about, especially after his injuries, about as slow as Charlie Adam. So that kind of worked out pretty well in Dundee's favour. For that point forward, it was kind of an even game. You maybe even see Dundee were, were edging it. And that was how it ended up happening, in my opinion. But you still, you would have thought that was enough to give McPake some more time. I could have thought that. I thought, in fact, I'm pretty sure I made the joke, like, Hearts might have done the rest of the league a favour by giving McPake <laughs> another six weeks or something. <laughs> and I do wonder whether, like you say, it was the, they were kind of looking for, they might be looking for candidates, and that does actually make more sense in my theory, but my kind of theory was similar, but they thought, well, we'll get rid of them, but why don't we, like, next two games, we've got Peterhead away in the cup. We'll probably win that one. But maybe we don't want to kind of upset the players kind of thing. Let's just let's just give them these next two games. You'll lose at Hearts anyway, but regardless of who we bring in, we'll lose at Hearts. And then after the Peterhead game, we can start afresh kind of thing. But then he goes and wins them too. And it's like, oh shit. Oh, fuck it. We're sacking them anyway. That's what I think happened. Um, it's, it's just a weird one. 
uh, even if if they're winning that match, you'd still think to yourself, but maybe hang back, hang fire because they're, they're getting a little bit of momentum. Fair enough, the Peterhead performance was it was quite bad to be honest as well, and. Uh, moment of magic from Charlie Adam getting the second goal called off the game but um, yeah uh, the Hearts game I think Scunner did on board to be honest um, uh, maybe Nielsen was doing them a favour back after the voting fiasco before but <laughs> <laughs> and they never got the email about it there's an email joke but <laughs> no, 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 the email was um, the email McPake after the county game and it just came through yeah basically but um, oh, yeah it's a it's a weird. McPeak's got a habit of going through like six, seven games without a win, maybe four without like four straight defeats. But then you've got a habit of picking up uh, momentum after that and kind of getting himself a bit, a bit of breathing space. And I kind of feel that's what he was going to get. Like not even taking into um, account the Celtic game coming up because I think most Dundee fans are probably going to write that one off. But um, I feel like after that, the the two victories there, but. Going into the St. Mirren game, I think that's the next one on the Wednesday, where we've been in a bit of momentum. Um, and I feel like what's happened is maybe knocked the sail at the, the window at the sails for the Dundee team a bit, to be honest. Ah, you're right, because I was kind of talking about timing and when you're going to bring a manager, and my theory doesn't really make any sense then, because if you're looking at Dundee's fixtures coming up, because you don't. Get rid of a manager. You don't do that to get rid of a manager and then bring in the new one. It would have made sense if they'd, if they'd left it. Like, had they sacked McPake before the Celtic game and then, like, okay, we'll leave it for an interim boss, like, for that game. But you don't give a new manager literally the hardest task in Scottish yeah, football. Yeah. Yeah, basically, you just do away with that, that kind of new manager bounce that everybody talks about because you're going to Parkhead to play Celtic. As long as you don't get beaten 9 0, to be fair. Oh, that's only three points, though, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> as you can tell, I've been looking up my Mark McKee quotes before coming on here. Oh, have, you, have you looked them up on Wikipedia? <laughs> a few of them, yeah. Uh, he's got a couple of classes. He's had a couple at the interview just there that he done. For the Dundee game, uh, Dundee um, appointment. I don't know if you've watched that. No, not yet. Twenty minutes. He kind of goes on about um, how he's been looking at Dundee's goals. He's seen the games. He knows the players and just the normal stuff you know from a manager. He's just basically telling you that he knows who's who. And then somebody asks him the question: um, Are you going to be changing the captain? Captaincy? And he's like, I have no even idea who the captain is. <laughs> This is what we're up against now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you've watched all these games, Mark. You've never noticed the, the bright green armband on anybody. <laughs> on Charlie Adam, of all people. Ah, you know exactly. what I mean? <laughs> He's not exactly like an inconspicuous player, is he? Yeah. Big, bald napper. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Okay, so we'll get back to McPake. Uh, we'll give his uh, obituary in a, a little bit. But now that we're on the subject of Mark McGee. What? Yeah. Uh, what? Yeah. It's it's Strachan, isn't it? It's Gordon Strachan's appointment. And he's uh, he's appointed his mate who's been at a job for since, well, Dundee beat them Motherwell 5-1 back in five years ago, I think. And he's been at a job ever since then as a manager. Um, he's had assistant managers here and there, but 
um, a hell of a long time to be out, and you can tell by some of the reactions, some of the extra D players on social media that they're kind of they, they disapprove of it as well. And it, not all of them are James McPake's mates either. But it's just basically a case of fuck's sake. It kind of a few boys have said they were dinosaur and all that. And I didn't want to slate at Dundee manager since we've got them, but Mark McGee. <laughs> In fairness, is is there a possibility that we're we're letting his reputation kind of cloud some of the success he's had as a manager? Like, is is he not like a safer pair of hands than James McPake, who is still pretty much a rookie, especially at the top flight level? Yeah, there is a good argument to that. How do we look at McGee's record? And he does seem to have like a good first season with teams, like a good kind of bounce with them. It always seems to go to pot in the second season for them, but it seems to do initially, he does well. Um, so it could be that kind of looking at it that way. Um, and also he's got the boy Simon Rusk, who he was assistant to. No, he wasn't assistant. He said he was the manager's assistant at Stockport. That's another thing he said in his interview. So this Simon Rusk is now his assistant at Dens, but at Stockport he was his manager's assistant. It's kind of like a um, the office David Brent, um, Garth Crooks, sort of, uh, assistant to the manager type thing. Right. But, um, I, I've not got a clue, but I kind of think to myself, is it maybe a case of Rusk's going to be the manager and McGee's the kind of front man because... I think the fans would go even more mental if we appointed the nobody, if you know what I mean. Daddy fans always want some new experience and um, it might just be a case of this is kind of a, like he's going to be manager, but this boy here is going to be the one kind of making the decisions, which kind of, again, falls into Mickey's six-match ban, touchline ban. So it kind of, is it a case of Rusk is the man that's going to be doing it? Yeah, and you made the point about McGee's kind of initial impact. Certainly, both terms at Motherwell was like, oh, yeah, one of them was donkeys ago, so let's like throw that away. But his most recent spell in mind when he went back to Motherwell, he took over. I'm pretty, I'm fairly certainly took over from Ian Barraclough yeah, after that team started to to crater a little bit, and he got them playing well for that season when they were in relegation bother and then next year they went right back to relegation bother and then that was when he was emptied and Stephen Robinson I think then took over till the end of the campaign and was then given the job on a, a full time basis so he, he can do it and he does have this ga- this band though how much I, I often wonder about bands like this though when it comes to managers yeah he's not allowed to be in the touchline but he's still allowed to be in the stands and it's easy enough to get messages to and from the dugout to your to your coaches. How much a big deal do you think it is? Because I often think it's a bit overstated when we say that managers are banned for games. Yeah, I, I think managers do the talking before half time, uh, before the game and at half time. I think during the game. Uh, I mean, how many managers do you actually see actually going mental on the touchline? Just probably just the mental ones that are going mental, but um, I didn't really see anybody rushing out, giving it whatnot and and whatever. The the players are given their, their their jobs to do that game. The captain is the one that's doing all the talking on the field towards them. So I kind of don't see the big deal in it. 
especially because he's got his background team there, and he'll probably be doing his Sam Allardyce headphone um, and into the uh, dugout. So I didn't see it as a big deal, but it doesn't look good, though, when you're in a relegation battle, 13 games left, and you appoint a manager who is going to be six games up in the director's box. It doesn't really give a good look. And um, <laughs> But then when you tell people it's Dundee, though, they're like, yeah, fair enough. Uh, right, okay. <laughs> that's the well, thing that's, we do. That's the thing. Like I'm saying, like the, the six game ban is not. Uh, it's not as big a deal as people were kind of making out to be. McGee does have a decent record of coming in initially and making teams better, but it's Dundee, and and the fact that James McPake has been sacked off it. Like I'd say, like, do you want to swap? Like, go back a couple of weeks and say, right, you've got a choice. James McPake stays your manager to the end of the season, or are you swapping for Mark McGee. Mm-hmm. it's not it's not the best of choices it's kind of like asking how you'd like to die but I think you would maybe go yeah, let's see what Mark McGee can kind of do so it's not the end of the world type thing but because they've got rid of a manager having won two games and because of the things he's come out with his press conference as you said and because there's already a kind of feeling of well is he in charge or is he just the front man for this guy that nobody's heard of it just screams relegation to me yeah, it's um, it's kind of Jim McIntyre-esque for Dundee because I think last time we won the Premiership, we were in the position, we appointed McIntyre and uh, worst ever uh, ending of the season for Dundee. Um, absolutely popped up the league and you do kind of get the vibes of this as well. Um, just because McGee's kind of like, a strong word is hate hated figure, but when you see Motherwell and Aberdeen fans commenting on everything and the, the, the Dundee fans as well commenting, it just seems like he's universally unliked by people, even actually just take away all the teams, just any team in Scotland they've all been commenting on it, it's just like he's universally hated for some reason it's, it's bad saying it, but that's what you're reading into, but that's, well, that's social media isn't it, but it just seems everybody's laughing at this and and <sighs> So am I, so. But yeah. If you didn't laugh, then you'll end up chucking yourself off the table. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's uh, finish up by looking back at James McPake. What was his biggest issue as a manager at Dead? I think his biggest issue was I feel like he was flung into the team. Uh, when we were relegated, we were going into a league with Dungeon United who had just been taken over and they were way to be big spending, um, which they did and we needed somebody in there that had kind of been around the leagues. We went for McPake and we struggled that year. Uh, we did kind of turn the corner uh, in the January window. He reinforced the team and we've done, we done pretty good uh, and made a little beeline at the end, but obviously COVID kind of uh, scuppered all that. The next year kind of went the same way. There was a little theme in his tenure with Dundee manager so the next year, again, in the summer, made sign-ins, and it wasn't going too good. And then January window came again, made sign-ins, I picked up. We got second, and we got promoted from the playoffs, which was fantastic. But I feel like we're kind of, I feel like we bossed the playoffs. But to get to the playoffs, we stumbled because whenever the only time we were second was the last uh, day of the season when we claimed second. So, and we had like one of the worst defenses in the championship as well. And then this season went the exact same way. Summer window here, he failed to um, strengthen an Audi 
bad, not bad defence, but a leaky defence that uh, that was basically championship level, and he, he did try to his best to, to do it, but then he he picked picking people like Lee Griffiths, who I was against signing in the first place, and trying to shoehorn him into the team for like Jason Cummins. Griffiths was visibly unfit. Uh, you know, got that spark around him and It was just just seemed like a bit of a panic, but he. He'd, it's hard to, to criticise him because he's been at the club eight and a half years and I've met him a few times. I've had the joys of doing DTV and uh, he was a lovely man. You, you can tell he just always wanted to do well for Dundee, but I just think this manager's job was too soon for him. Do you think he'll get another chance soon somewhere? I think somebody will take a chance on him. Just because he got manager of the season last season, I have no idea how because I thought Nielsen would have been assuring we up be running away with the league. But the more probably got, I probably got fed up again him manager of the season in the championship. <laughs> but um, shake it up a bit. But um, I think he will. I think he'll get someplace. Uh, it'll be a championship team or something. But um, it's one of those where I think every Dundee fan wanted them to do well. But at the same time, when they're ten wins, uh, ten games without a win. Most of ninety percent fans, even though they want them to do well, want them rock, uh, uh, gone. And Dundee fans are quite picky when it comes to to changing managers. To be honest, but um, yeah, you can look back at his uh, uh, time as Dundee manager uh, with a, a lot of highs and uh, hell of a lot of lows. To be honest, uh, but yeah, you wish him well, and uh, there's no ill feelings towards him. Um, even though a lot of people were quite uh, vocal and wanting him sacked. It's weird because now he's sacked. It's kind of like a a, a sympathy thing now. They're like, oh, it's, it's a shame it never worked out. But about two weeks ago, they're like, Mike Pete, get the fuck and all that kind <laughs> of But that's the nature of a football fan, isn't it? <laughs> certainly is. Certainly is. Right, Daniel. Thank you very much for joining me. No problem, Craig. Thanks, mate. And thank you to everybody for listening to this three-part podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. And be sure to check out the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Terrace Podcast, where for as little as £2 a month, they can unlock hours and hours of exclusive bonus content. And for this weekend's fixtures, I hope you enjoy your football. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.